Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media. There's a macro theme here where marketers need to think about how they continue in their tactical and response-driven marketing to keep lifting and building trust in consumers and, and lifting their brand. I think that's going to be something that is enduring and those that do it well, I think, will be much more resilient as further changes unfold in response to this crisis. Hello, I'm Gavin Stewart, Marketing Director and Co-Founder of Ashton Media and your host of the Ashton Cast Digital Marketing Maturity Series, brought to you by our friends at Google Marketing Platform. These are short, sharp stories and solutions to the biggest challenges in marketing, advertising, media and CX. Please make sure to subscribe, rate and comment and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Ashtoncast on all major podcast players, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and more. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au slash ashtoncast for more info. We are here with Michael Schneering, the Managing Director and Partner at BCG. Michael, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thanks, Gav. Excellent, mate. So, obviously, we're, we're living in some fairly unusual times, to say the least, uh, and you know, it's all down to, to COVID-19. So, where were you when you first thought, oh, man, this, this COVID-19 thing is going to be bad and, and what made you think that? Yeah, Gav, I think... Um Early on in the COVID-19 crisis, uh, BCG started tracking data on the progression uh, quite closely. Uh, And I remember uh, China just moved past its peak uh, in terms of cases. Uh, We were seeing an exponential curve uh, in terms of cases in in Italy. There were the first reports out of uh, New York City in in the US. Uh, And I remember looking at this data um, coming through almost daily uh, through, through the channels we have internally. Uh, and you could really see how serious this was going to be uh, in terms of outlook. Um, on a more personal note, I, I remember the moment when I was sitting in my lounge room and, and the PM was addressing Australia and talking about, um, you know, I remember him using the words repeatedly, look, we can't do this anymore, or all the things that we could no longer do, seeing friends, um, you know, sad things like not being able to have funerals, um, attend church. Uh, and, and between those two things, that's when it really hit me that this was going to be a pretty uh, serious uh, impact, both the health crisis and and then uh, economically uh, on various markets across the globe, um, and that we were in for a fairly long ride uh, with with COVID. It's been a been a crazy ride so far. And yeah, you know, when when you first you know knew that it was going to be a bad thing, how how that make you feel? Look, I think uh, like most of us, uh, the, the first thought is you know, for more so our people and families, um, you know, our own personal safety and those that might be impacted around us. Um, and I think that was that was the first thing, you know, internally at BCG, we were very focused on in terms of our, our people's health, safety, well-being. And I could see uh, companies in Australia that I was working with uh, a similar focus as well as, you know, friends and family, uh, a similar thing. So, the, the, the first thought turned to that. Um, and I think, as the weeks have progressed and um, at least in Australia it uh, has settled down a little bit, um, I, you know, I think we're, we've got longer to go, um, you know, the, the, 
resultant impact on jobs, business, the economy, I think really started to, to sink in and, and what that might mean as an outlook for us. Yeah, interesting. And so, um, like most people, uh, we're, we're chatting from home at the moment and uh, that's because we're working from home. So, how long, how long have you been working from home? Uh, so, Gav, it's been eight weeks now. Um, we uh, made the move relatively early to, to start working from home um, and, uh, you know, consistent with what our clients were doing um, and, and also our own internal policies. Um, and it's been a pretty substantial shift in ways of working over the last eight weeks. Um, you know, of course, there's the the obvious things that, that most are adjusting to life on VCs and, uh, you know, using new digital tools, whether that be Trello and Slack and all the things that, that bring teams together in the way that we have before. Um, my own personal observation is then there's the, the adjustment on personal lives and family lives and trying to make work happen uh, in amongst all these things that are that are blurring together at home so um, I can't say it's been easy over the last eight weeks but uh, you know I feel at least uh, into somewhat of a new pattern under this uh, new normal for, for a while so sort of sort of found your found your new groove but I suppose you know one of the one of the biggest challenges is is hibernation and you know and and so you know we, we've all been in hibernation for a while some of the some of the um, rules are starting to loosen up a little bit but you know, what do you miss the most i think uh, one of the things i miss the most is that feeling of collaboration and teamwork you get when you're co-located and uh, working together in a in a team or a squad uh, on on tough problems and you can recreate a little bit of that virtually uh, and, you know, tools help, uh, but there's something about the uh, the feeling of being able to uh, be in the room together as a team, um, you know, run sessions in, in person uh, and be able to um, solve what are now really tough and quite dynamic questions and problems in this environment. You know, consumer behaviour is changing very rapidly. Um, you know, companies are having to respond to... Uh, very different uh, spend patterns to ways in which the market's reacting. And, you know, I miss being able to be in the room with teams solving those problems live and, and seeing things change uh, re- really quickly. Um, and, and the sorts of random encounters you get when you walk the halls or, uh, you know, when you're uh, in that environment that you're able to think through ideas and solve problems spontaneously, which unfortunately, as good as digital tools are, you just don't quite get um, working from home. So, um, you know, I think we've all made the best of uh, this new work environment, um, but hibernation has certainly been an adjustment um, and uh, a change in, in the typical things you'd get out of uh, being in person with uh, with teams and clients. Yeah, I think you I really miss the energy of, of being around other people and just being able to bounce off you know, one another. And there are so many, you know, signals. I mean, obviously 90% of communication is nonverbal, right? So, you know, being able to, to not being able to be in the room with the people can be, you know, it's certainly very difficult. What are the most immediate differences that we've seen in the marketplace after COVID-19? Well, I, I think there's um, uh, three main things that I'm seeing which are quite different, particularly from a consumer perspective. Uh, that have changed in this marketplace. The first is that the past is no longer predicting the future. So uh, in, in Australia, as an example, uh, as uh, the impacts of uh, social distancing and, and movement restrictions uh, started to take place in the Australian market, 
we saw very different consumer behaviour uh, in, in um, how they were shopping, what they were shopping on, what they were doing in interacting with Australian companies. So, you know, we saw initially the demand surge in supermarkets and we all witnessed that um, with, uh, you know, toilet paper and various other staples. Um, Nothing like a toilet paper fight. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mean, we joke now, but that was only a few weeks ago uh, that, yeah, that Australians yeah. were clamouring to, to get toilet paper and basic staples and luckily it's settled down now but these demand surges you know and we saw this in other developed markets that bcg was tracking consumer sentiment and demand on uh that uh categories like uh, you know drinks and alcohol diy projects home furnishing particularly um purchased online uh consumers started responding and changing very um quickly uh and and changing behavior and and so you know what companies have looked at over the last 12 months, two years in terms of consumer behaviour, you know, my view is that it no longer predicts how consumers will behave, particularly uh, during this um, this phase where we still have uh, restrictions on the way that people can move and, and, uh, and interact. So I think the past will no longer predict how consumers um, and, and, and our, our customers will behave, and that's important. Um, the, 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 second, the second theme... I think is um, behavior has changed. I think the question is how long will it last? Um, so again, a big difference we've seen since COVID nineteen uh, and the implications uh, that have that have um, come from that is uh, consumers have shifted their spend patterns to online. So you know we saw forty five percent year on year in groceries locally in Australia. Um, we saw sixty seven percent in fashion online. Uh, in Australia, so increase in in online spend. Um, at the moment, uh, you know, for groceries, we think that's accounting for nine percent of overall sales. Uh, so, so, yes, consumer behaviour has changed very rapidly, and 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 uh, often in directions that uh, organisations and brands have been pushing uh, to to change that behaviour. For me, I think the question will be. Um, what will stick in that behaviour in a in a post COVID world, and how different will that behaviour be in terms of channel and uh, types of transactions uh, going forward, um, and, and how long how long that lasts? So I think uh, you know similar to the to the first theme where we can no longer look back on what consumer behaviour is. I think um, in a post COVID world, uh, what things stick and what change permanently will be will be still a will be still a question. Uh, and then I think the, the the third thing is the response and how co- companies or brands respond to this is now um, changed or probably forever in my view. So we are entering a new norm. Uh, BCG talks about three phases of responding to COVID. So uh, there was the flattened phase um, where both uh private sector and, and, and uh, more importantly, public sector were responding to the initial outbreak of the virus. Uh, there was the fight phase, which were, which most developed economies are now in, where uh, companies are seeking to, um, uh, and, and, and economies are seeking to respond um, to the changes that are happening. Um, and then what we call the future, which is uh, ultimately a new norm out of this, where, where, companies, uh, where companies respond. And so I think the, the third major difference that we're seeing post-COVID is that companies will have to have new capabilities and adapt um, almost permanently, I think, to, to this change. So their ability to qu- quickly adapt and respond to the types of um, behaviour changes that we've, we've t- 
talked about, Gav, um, how they then uh, tune their marketing messages, their products, their services to respond to this, how they then test and learn, I think will be um, what uh, enables companies to succeed in that future phase uh, beyond beyond uh, what has happened in terms of the implications of, of the crisis. So, um, you know, companies, I think, need to prepare themselves now for that, um, for that change. Interesting times ahead. And I think, um, you know, what do you think about the previous global challenges such as 9-11 and, and the GFC and how they've affected global business? I mean, how does this compare? So, uh, early on in the COVID crisis and then the resulting economic crisis, uh, we locally looked at um, uh, what, were, what was the impact of the GFC uh, just on the economy. So, uh, recognising that we now have uh, two things playing together, the um, progression of the pandemic, both locally and globally, as well as now the economic Im- impact and how that's going to play out. Um, so, Looking back at the GFC, I think, um, is informative and can give some indication of what happened equally. I think we are genuinely in uncertain times now as to what uh, is going to play out in response to this. So having said that, when we looked at um, what had happened uh, during the GFC in Australia, at least, uh, you know, a few things happened. Uh, the first was con- consumer confidence uh uh, dropped quite substantially, so from about 127 points to 90 in in just six months. Um, what that resulted in uh, over a period of 12 months was GDP growth declining from 11% to negative 0.6%, um, resulting in one quarter of uh, negative growth uh, in in Australia. Um, so the the, the GFC uh, the impact was substantial, uh, and of course. The story was different by different sectors during the GFC, and I'll come a little bit to, um, in in the current situation, a, a similar uh, similar story. Uh, so during the GFC, uh, you know, we saw uh, spend categories like transport services, purchase of vehicles decline around thirty percent. Uh, we saw entertainment, cafes, recreation decline ten to twenty sorry ten to twelve percent. Uh, household staples such as food, clothes, and drinks declined six to eight percent, um, and this was from the you know the peak spend to to the trough of of the GFC. So the the impact was uh, substantial, and that was an economic crisis only, <laughs> and I say only now, uh, given the situation we're in. Um, you know, it it feels mild compared to where we are now. Um, yeah. But I think really the the important thing looking back on past events is to to look to different sectors, different categories as to what the change was because it did vary quite substantially. And I think as we'll come to, Gav, uh, in response to COVID, we're seeing the same thing now, that the response of consumers and the impact on different categories and spend has varied by uh, different sectors. And, um, you know, I think that's important for uh, brands to know uh, so that they can see what's playing out in their own sector, how consumers are changing, and then uh, how how might they respond? So, who in the marketplace has shown to be well prepared? You, you think, and or has rapidly adapted to the shifts that we're talking about? It, without naming any specific players, I think for me, there's been some hallmarks of those who have been well prepared and who have responded well. And and I, I think there's a few consistent themes with, with what they have done um, over the last uh, just eight weeks. I think the first is they've acted decisively and they've acted quickly. 
Um, and these are everything from responses that keep their customers and their people safe. Uh, so changing uh, store layouts and uh, and the physical environment uh, to protect both frontline employees and and customers all the way through to how organizations have responded to uh, meet the financial pressure that is unfolding uh, in response to uh, the economic crisis so securing additional debt facilities and shoring up their balance sheet so those organizations that took those measures quickly early uh, I think have positioned themselves well uh, in response to this crisis. Uh, the second thing that I think those that have done well uh, have all done is they've focused on looking after their customer um, and doing the right thing by their customer, uh, regardless of the cost and and the commercial implications to them. So uh, I mentioned the the physical changes to uh, certain retail environments uh, that I think also included. Uh, changes in um, uh, marketing measure, uh, marketing messages and communications to customers uh, through to financial support and um, uh, relaxation of uh, commitments. So uh, what the banks did uh, in relation to uh, commitments on things like mortgages and small, uh, small business lending. Um, so I think there was uh, a group of companies in Australia that uh, responded very quickly to make sure that they were acting in their interest of the customer. Um, and I think, uh, again, as we'll come to in a little bit, uh, those customers who did that well have been able to lift their trust uh, with customers and consumers as a, as a result. And then I think the third hallmark of uh, those that did well in, respond to, in responding to this is they responded quickly to uh, the flatten and fight phases. So, everything from crisis response to the operational changes to um, ensuring uh, they looked after their employees. And then those that then shifted to think about the future phase and how they're going to set up an organisation that will respond and rebound quickly uh, when uh, the crisis starts to uh uh, come into a more predictable pattern and in, and we start to see pockets of growth and recovery. Um, there are organisations planning, investing, uh, looking at that phase in this um, response and I think those organisations will come out much stronger out of the back of this um, because they're planning early for that recovery recovery phase. Mm, interesting. And so what, what role has digital marketing maturity played in coping with the crisis? So I think digital, the, the maturity of companies in, in digital marketing, I think has been pivotal in this consumer and customer response that, that we've talked about. Um, so uh, those that are most mature in digital marketing, uh, I think already had the capabilities that are, that are critical to respond to the changes that are unfolding. So for example, uh, they were already capturing first and third party data to understand and sense the shifting consumer behavior so they were seeing those signals earlier than others um, uh, and adapting their marketing approach um, in response uh, they the, the most mature organizations are already in the rhythm of test and learn and experimentation and operating in an agile way so we're able to uh, adjust offer adjust communications adjust the channel and spend uh, in response to those signals uh, they were seeing. 
uh, and be able to respond more quickly to the crisis. And then then the most mature organizations were also able to measure and understand what was working and, and, and what wasn't in that response. Um, so being able to use the data and the measurement of what they are uh, changing in the market and interacting with their consumers uh, to then um, adjust their, their marketing communications, their offers, their promotions, and, and in particular how they are engaging consumers through this very challenging time uh, to now emphasise things like building trust, building consumer confidence, um, you know, whilst also understanding when and what would be the right time to think about um, uh, offers and uh, sales-related messages. So I think those that were most mature had the sorts of capabilities that are critical for this environment. I think those that were less mature in digital marketing, the need for these capabilities, which have always been there, are now um, much more apparent and more acute uh, to be able to have the sorts of capabilities that respond quickly, as I described. And so the importance of lifting uh, maturity and investing those capabilities, I think, is now uh, even more important um, as a result of um, the changes from uh, that have flowed through from COVID. They've had to move very, very quickly. Given the large-scale marketplace shift, what kinds of companies have been able to respond effectively to this crisis? I think there's less of a correlation between kinds of companies. I think you can see across sectors, different companies have, um, have, have done well. So I think it comes down to what sort of capabilities they either have or have continued to build in response um, to these shifts. And I think that's the consistent thing between companies that have, have done this effectively. So a few of the the capabilities or the elements that I've seen, at least um, in the market and, and working with clients in Australia. So uh, the first is um, uh, quickly bringing in the signals through data to be able to understand what changes are happening. So uh, commonly that's using a set of third-party data signals. So, um, uh, you know, for example, third-party web browsing or sentiment or patterns quickly connecting that with internal data sources, so first-party data sources, to be able to understand and uh, sense much more quickly and as close to real-time as possible uh, the changes that are that are happening. Um, the, the best companies um, on this dimension are then using other sources of data, so whether that be email response rates, uh, of course, their own point of sale and sales data um, to then bring that together, connect it, and then importantly, make it consumable and linked to the biggest drivers of value and change uh, to that company. Um, so, so I think that's the first capability I've seen that organizations who have effectively responded had in place. Uh, the second capability uh and I think this is still emerging. We're still only eight weeks in or, or 10 weeks in, at least locally, to, to the um, most acute changes in response to the crisis. Is, so, so the second capability is uh, lots of experimentation. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is um, companies now need to experiment with what consumers are buying. So there might be shift in their own categories or SKUs or their own products and services um, as a result of the the changes in our local marketplace. 
Importantly, that's now coupled together with quite rapid changes with how consumers are buying. And there's the obvious ones like e-commerce and, and online sales. That's that's a really obvious one. Uh, but in some of BCG's research um, in in a number of different markets, we've think, seen elements like transaction sizes and uh, consumers shopping more locally um, or transacting more locally or seeking, um, you know, uh, channels and service more locally um, that is also changing at the same time. So um, uh, for uh, marketers and those that are engaging customers and consumers, um, how then you experiment with different messages, different media, uh, you know, small micro offers and communications so you learn how consumers respond before going too big on a large campaign or or one shots on uh, uh, appealing to a consumer, I think is important um, because I think we're all learning very quickly how these changes are unfolding with c- consumers. Uh, and then the third thing and this the third common hallmark uh, for, for companies that have done well, I think is then the ability to um, adapt and respond quickly. And I think that's everything from uh, making sure you get the measurement and the right measurement of these experiments and the actions that um, uh, marketing communication offers a um, having in the marketplace um, and that you have the uh, organization set up and the teams in place that can then respond to them. Um, uh, so their ability to make changes quickly, make decisions, um, get new features or um uh, marketing messages or campaigns into market and then do the same thing again. Um, those, uh, that ability I think is, is quite critical. And, uh, having worked with a few clients through this crisis, those that do that well, I think have been able to respond much more effectively, um, than those that didn't have those capabilities in place. And I think one of the one of the key things that has come up uh, again and again in conversations I've had is resilience from a personal perspective but also from from a business perspective so so how do you see the digital marketing maturity playing a role in a business's ability to to be resilient yeah so let me start with just a few kind of interesting scene setting things on on resilience and and what digital marketing maturity might um might mean going forward uh bcg ran locally uh, a consumer sentiment survey just in the last weeks and there were a few interesting findings from that I thought that that was interesting uh, in thinking about well going forward what will make uh, companies more resilient through this. Uh, one, one theme was um, uh, consumers showing a continued shift and it has been a trend we've been seeing for some time but a continued shift to purchase from Australian brands. Um, so uh, we've seen 20 percentage points since 2016 shift in preference to Australian brands. My own personal view is I think that's going to continue and be further reinforced through this where consumers are thinking much more about uh, local um, and the domestic um, environment for buying good services, you know, think travel and tourism, I think is going to be very much domestic linked for quite some time. And so uh, that's just an example of, I think, the the orientation towards Australian brands and to Australian um, uh, uh, goods and services is going to, is going to continue to shift that way. Uh, the, the second thing that, that we saw was um, uh, the net trust of consumers for those institutions that responded really well to this crisis 
um, has actually increased. Um, and so we've seen that in sectors like healthcare and, and even supermarkets who are some of the first to have to respond to uh, changes in purchasing behavior and, and buying lots of toilet paper. Um, and, you know, <laughs> those that responded well, uh, we've actually already seen a net improvement in trust. Um, and so I think that's an important takeaway in terms of how marketers think about responding to this and really what's going to make the brand resilient over the medium term, this concept of, of maintaining and lifting consumer trust and um, that that being a source of both value and advantage, but then where things like repeat purchase comes from. Um, and then the third, and this is again possibly an obvious one, but it, it needs to be said, is um, the continued increase in spend on online and e-commerce, um, being you know in a post-COVID world or in in um, uh, this fight phase, I think being something that has prompted probably some of the shifts that brands have been trying to create in in digital buying, but is is here to stay. Um, so how to rem- remain resilient in those con- contexts? I think. Um, there's a there's a macro theme here where marketers need to think about how they continue in their more um, tactical and response driven marketing to keep lifting and building trust in consumers and and lifting their brand. Um, I think that's going to be something that is enduring, and those that do it well, I think, will be much more resilient as further changes unfold in response to this crisis. Because I think. None of us can really predict where this goes, but I think that's something that's going to make organisations more um, brands as a whole more resilient. But but certainly needs to be uh, front of mind in terms of marketing. Then I think there's some more specifics. So, so two thoughts on specifics here. For some categories, we know that uh, spend has declined and will decline, or will remain lower than. Um, uh, pre-COVID levels. There's some re- really obvious ones, travel and recreation and uh, all the things we used to love and do outside of the home. Um, have can't do them right now, yeah, can we? <laughs> can't do it. So, it's um, the, the impact is quite substantial. So, you know, I think thinking about the quality of the dollar that brands are going after and thinking about repeat purchase will be, will be important. Um, and there will be pockets of consumers, our survey showed, who will still trade up and who will go for some um, higher price, you know, um, indulge yourself at home type purchases. And so, um, you know, marketers need to think about in their category, where are the pockets of um, consumers or customers for whom they can still appeal um, to uh, spend and trade up. Um, and then equally, the, the second sort of more tactical thing is uh, some pools will start to grow, Um you know, whether that's uh, the shift to digital or certain segments, uh, you know, we've seen to date, I mentioned a few at the beginning of this podcast, uh, such as DIY products, online home furnishings, where will there be categories where there is growth and therefore the role of marketing to help tap into those um, growth categories or growth pools where that's relevant for a brand um, and particularly, um Give the brand the best shot possible when we start to return to, you know, in-person um, uh, consumption of retail and into in-person consumption of services and, and other other products, um, so that they're uh, positioning the organisation to respond to that. Uh, and I think if you get those few things right, um, 
there's the mid to long term resilience in the brand, but then the 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 tactics day to day that will make brands resilient to the changes in in consumer behaviour and consumer sentiment. If I'm a CMO or a marketing leader, what what should I be doing right now to protect and strengthen my business for the long term? Yeah, look, I think um, now more than ever, the role of the CMO is um, at the forefront of this change and critical to to the organisation. And I think a number of things the CMO should be doing are still there and have just been accelerated or enhanced, heightened uh, in in response to the changes from COVID. So I can think of a few things. They may not be uh, complete, but um, this would be my list. Uh, the first is I think um, marketing and CMOs now more than ever need to think uh, cross-functional across the organisation to be effective. Um, and depending on the sector, that, that, that the other functions varies, but for me, um, channels... Uh, the the product development part of the organisation, uh, perhaps loyalty, uh, offers pr- promotions, merchandise. Um, m- more than ever, marketers need to be thinking in a way that brings those parts of the organisation together and there's a consistent and coherent uh, approach either to shorter-term experimentation like we've we've talked about, so how how and where they'll experiment with uh, changes in offers and um, uh, responding to consumer behaviour such as channel choice, but also this concept of um, building and enhancing trust with the consumer and, and building the brand, which will also be um, uh, often either product or service related. Ta- related. Take, for example, the um, what we talked about before, which is the response of the bank's in certain uh, consumer and, and small business products and giving flexibility and repayments. You know, th- that is something um, that is, I think, one of the reasons why we're seeing net trust increase, um, but requires a cross-functional approach and, and the messages need to be right and needs to be across the organisation. So that's the, that's the first thing I think that a CMO should think about. I think the second, and we've touched on it a fair bit in this uh, podcast, is... Um, the ability to test and learn, do rapid experimentation, measure the results and do things, you know, think um, think big in terms of the results that can be created, even in this quite challenging um, market, uh, but then act really small in terms of uh, small-scale campaigns, small-scale trials where we test and learn. Uh, because my own view is it's very hard at the moment to stare at uh, any amount of data that give you the ability to really pinpoint what's going to work. I think it will give you a general indication of where you should experiment and how you should respond. And so, uh, you know, understanding uh, consumer behavior and what's happening is important. I think organizations that get the frequency and scale of experiments high will will uh, learn much more quickly and be able to, uh, able to adapt. And then the third thing is... Um, I think now is the time uh, for CMOs to look for ways to continue to invest in new capabilities. Um, and often, uh, not not completely, but often uh, through investments in data platforms and new technology. Um, so I think they need to remain really focused on what is it that they want to communicate or what f- features they, do they want 
to, for example, personalize offers or um, be much um, uh, closer to the customer and then look back into, well, what investments need to be make, made either in bringing together the data that's needed, investing in the MarTech stack uh, to be able to do that well and importantly, go beyond one or two experiments and and, and do that at scale. So um, many organizations in in uh, in, in the local market, I know are managing their cash flow, managing their investments, but I think uh, this is one spot where continued investment in capability, I think, is very important. It always has been, uh, but is now even more important um, as brands continue to respond and adapt to uh, changes in consumer behavior. So, you need to adapt very quickly is what I'm taking from that. Um, so, we're going to switch it up a little bit here. And, uh, you know, obviously advancing digital maturity is challenging whether or not we're in the midst of a global pandemic. So, for you personally, who would you look up to as, say, a mentor or a role model for your own digital guidance? I think there's some of the classic examples, um, whether it's um, uh, Jeff Bezos or others who have uh, shown... Uh, so, so I think the direct answer, Gav, is no one single person, um, but I think it's both companies and individuals who uh, do two things. One, um, uh, show that they are invested in uh, g- giving customers things that they value, things that um, are important to them uh, and respond to uh, a, a customer need. Um, and, and secondly, uh, that are able to cut through some of the clutter and noise by using data to be able to do that um, and go beyond uh, the, um, the the gut feel and are able to measure response uh, and then and then respond um, and uh, you know organisations like Amazon and Jeff Bezos um, I think are, are good examples of those that have done that really well. So it's a, a tribe of digital mentors rather than an individual. I, I, I think so. I think there's um, usually. <laughs> Take away something from um, you know you know many leaders in in the digital space, both both individuals and organisations, uh, because I think no one individual or company gets it all right, honestly, um, and are still learning, adapting, and that's the hallmark actually of those that that lead in this space. Um, and uh, you know, equally, uh, this there's often something to be learned in how um, uh, many respond to these sorts of changes. Yeah, absolutely. And so, what what books or podcasts or uh, you know media are you consuming right now that's helping with digital education for for both yourself and your clients? Yeah. So the one that comes to mind for me that I that I read recently is um, Robert Iger's book on on the history of Disney. Um, it's called The Ride of a Lifetime, um, and uh, you know it was both a fascinating history of. Um, of Disney as a company from its early days, um, you know, through to the um, digital media and, and entertainment giant that it is now. Uh, but but importantly, I think the thing that I took away was this notion of a continued need to innovate, invest for or bring in new capabilities and, and do that in a way that uh, um, is um, re- relentless on pushing uh, you know, teams and the organizations, the organizations forward. So, 
you know, there's a great um, story around the the long relationship until they merged with um, or acquired Pixar um, as a very new set of digital capabilities that were were critical to the organisation. You know, equally toward the end of the book, it talks about uh, how they had to disrupt themselves um, uh, when they launched Disney Plus, and that required some quite bold leadership to think very differently. Yeah, that was very, very bold the way they did that. I, thought it was, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I bet you it gets watched a yeah. lot in your house yeah. with three kids under the age of 10, right? It certainly <laughs> does. Uh, I mean, they are not they don't discriminate between channels, but certainly um, the, the Disney adventures uh, are, uh, are a favourite here as well. Uh, and so, you can see how, um, you know, and that's a, that's a product that's been launched in the last months. Um, you know, how, how brilliant timing, right? Timing. Brilliant timing. I couldn't, couldn't have picked it. <laughs> Better uh, when everyone's at home, um, the, the surge in demand for services like that. But but uh, you know they continued to think about we've got to change the consumer offering and we've got to disrupt our you know prior revenue streams um, in in content sales and uh, create this service. And so I think um, yeah that was a, that was for me a fascinating story overall, both of um uh the company the individual but then these sorts of steps where organizations um make pretty big calls to build new capabilities advance the organization uh, and not all of them paid off um but i think importantly it's um uh, being relentless on pushing uh, to 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 the next one got to keep experimenting and and innovating i guess so what is the trend that you're personally most excited about in digital? Like, what's what's really exciting you at the moment? Yeah, look, I think, th- I mean, this may not surprise too many people, but um, the use of data and AI um, in in digital more broadly, but in um, marketing and how brands interact with their um, consumers, I think is I think is very exciting. And I don't, I'm not of the camp that. Everything must be AI-driven or advanced data analytics. There are some um, uh, great lifts that brands can experience uh, doing better marketing, better communications without using AI. But I think the sorts of use cases I've seen, uh, even for some of my clients locally, on using AI to better uh, personalize and tailor uh, messages, offers, interactions with consumers, I think... Um, is is very exciting. Um, it's equally very challenging to get right, but I think that's what makes it more exciting because those organisations who invest for the midterm, we talked, you know, earlier about preparing now for the future phase uh, of the response to this crisis. I think those that stay the course and keep investing in capabilities like uh, AI. Uh, for the future and go up the learning curve because there is a learning curve uh, will be will be really well placed but I think um, the 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 results that we've seen often organizations that get this right see six to ten percent uh, revenue or sales improvements uh, for cohorts of customers that they are applying AI to um, I think that is a um, quite substantial and fundamental change for commercial results but also a much better customer experience um, in being able to, uh, you know, meet the customer where they are, meet the customer with what they want, and I think uh, data and AI is allowing organisations to do that much more effectively, and importantly, um, be able to scale it um, through the use of data and technology. So, uh, I think that's going to be um, uh, something that's going to 
propel the way brands interact with their customers and consumers and I think certainly is going to reshape the way uh, marketing as a capability uh, is seen over the next um, uh, over the next years. Interesting. I've had some very interesting chats with people about AI um, over the years. You know, running lots of lots of stuff at digital technology events. Um, where do you think AI is going to land in terms of uh, in terms of both marketing and beyond? Like, what what does what does the future look like for for AI? Do you think? I think it's going to be in two phases. I think. Uh, brands are going to experiment with AI and, and data over the next um, years. Um, I don't know the exact time frame, but call it three to five years. And some things are going to work, some things aren't going to work. Uh, and so I think there is a learning curve that organisations are going to have to go under uh, or go through on AI uh, to be able to understand how to effectively develop the technology, integrate the data, find the use cases and execute them so that they can make changes that actually matter to a customer or matter to the results of a company. And I think that's going to be the phase we're in for a little while, that it's not all going to be perfect. Uh, there's going to be pockets of good results and the, the, the promise will be there of what AI can do. And then I think there's going to be a second phase, which is actually harnessing the capabilities and the, um, the power of humans and creativity and the whole design uh, space of marketing and um, and digital together with AI. And I think it's the combination of um, uh, having good teams and, and, you know, really high caliber people together with the smarts of data technology and AI. And when you can bring that together effectively, I think that's going to be the capability that organizations will want or need um, in a in a new marketplace. But I think there's necessarily going to be a, a path to get there and a learning curve um, that organisations are going to have to stay the course on. So um, I think it's not AI on its own. I think it's how you bring people plus AI together. Um, we, we talk a lot internally and, and with our clients about 70, 20, 10, that it's, you know, 70% the people and the change, um, 20% the algorithms, 10% the technology. Uh, and and so therefore you need to uh, think about that in terms of how you use AI in whatever use case uh, is relevant for the for the organisation, um, and I think that's what's going to um, uh, play out over time with with AI. Brilliant. One more question, and then you're off the hook, Michael. Um, so if you could tell someone ten years ago one interesting thing about how digital would turn out now, what would that be? I think it would centre on the shift and use of small-scale capabilities and features and teams as a way to really drive value. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I think back 10 years ago to uh, the promise of cloud, uh, you know, changing, um, you know, core systems, whether they be running banks or retailers uh, or other companies, uh, kind of the fundamental shifts of, um, uh, you know, the open heart surgery of um, a company and 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 using tech for that. I think what's really interesting for me is yes, that's still happening, and many organisations have gone through that. Now, I think there is um, uh, when you get the right, like even just small teams um, supported by a bit of tech or data, but with real focus on how am I going to use that in a customer context and an ability to 
work across organizations to then scale what works. Uh, I think that has, that's sort of the new norm for me in digital that if you can focus on, if you can focus on that, um, uh, you know, and it might require some broader scale technology changes, um, that there's immense value. So I, I'm not sure, um, 10 years ago we would have predicted that, you know, it's almost done this curve of, I need to do this whole, you know, very large scale, whole, um, holistic changes around digital to actually, I can start in small pockets, um, uh, really get something to succeed and then scale it beyond. For me, that's quite a shift we've all made in terms of how to think about driving the benefit of and then and then scaling digital capabilities. Brilliant. Michael Schneering, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us on Ashton Cast. Have yourself a wonderful day. Thank you very much, Gav. Pleasure to be here. This is the last episode of the Ashton Media Digital Marketing Maturity Series brought to you by our friends at Google Marketing Platform. Feel free to go back and listen to the first episode of this series to get a full understanding of what's happening in the future of digital marketing. The Ashton Cast Digital Marketing Maturity Series was proudly brought to you by our friends at Google Marketing Platform. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment and tell anyone that you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. This series was produced by Podpaste and Ashton Media here in Sydney, Australia. Executive produced by Gavin Stewart and Kira Walter. Supervising producer, Darren Lake. Audio production, sound design and engineering by Eamon Connolly. Story writing producer, Charles Montano. And podcast management by Michelle Lee. Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media.